All right, everybody, welcome back to That's Criminal. Tonight, we're talking with retired vice detective Joe Haggerty. Joe spent 35 years as a vice detective and academy instructor with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. In 2009, he received an award, the Heroes of the Heart, from Children of the Knights in California, where he was recognized as one of the top 10 law enforcement officers in the country for rescuing children from the street. Joe's written two novels, Shame, the Story of a Pimp, written based on his experiences investigating child predators and prostitution. His second novel, An Ocean in the Desert, follows two private investigators who specialize in rescuing missing children. Joe's also a published poet. He's a member of the Public Safety Writers Association, as am I. And if that wasn't enough, he's married with six children, 11 grandchildren, and eight great-grandchildren. <laughs> I thought I had a I thought I had a full plate, man. Uh, but uh, Joe, welcome, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you joining me. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a lot. That's a yeah. that's quite the that's. But the, I guess the good thing is when you get to the uh, the grandchildren and the great grandchildren, you just get to spoil them and hand them back, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's the most best part. definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, my darling, uh, you know. She likes to spend as much time with them as possible. Yep. Yeah. You just uh, fill them full of sugar. And then uh, if they get too loud, just turn them, turn them in, check them out again tomorrow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, your, uh, your, your two books, I got into, uh, I got into shame. Um, got, uh, I'm not, I'm not all the way through it. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's written, uh, it, it, uh, it's got a gritty uh, feel to it. And I thought we could start with maybe, you know, I like to, to take the, uh, the listeners and, and walk them through all the various aspects of, of uh, law enforcement or military or intel or whoever I'm talking to. Um, so that world of, of work in vice, I never worked vice um, back in the day. I worked in our narcotics side. The vice unit was our kind of our sister squad. Um, but we didn't really, we passed uh, every now and then if something came up, but I never actually was de a dedicated vice detective. So uh, could you walk us through uh, the the uh, the life of of working that side of the house? Well, to be honest with you, I wasn't. It wasn't my uh, goal to join Vice. I wanted to be a detective. I was on the street in uniform for about three years. Uh, they had a detective test back then, and I ended up thirty seventh on the list out of about 300 and some odd people that took the test. And I tried to stay within the particular police district I was in, which was the third district. But the department was going through some transition periods where they were trying to make all of the detective units 50-50. And they had more white detectives in 3D than they did black detectives, so they weren't taking me. Well. Our vice squad at the time had a bit of a scandal, scandal, and the chief ended up wiping them all out. He did away with the vice squad and everything else. And then he turned around and wanted all new people in there. And I think it was two guys from my section and my sergeant went to the vice squad. And I thought, well, what the hell? At least I'd get some investigative experience and so forth. And I learned that vice is nice. <laughs> now, 
when we first got in there, everything was narcotics. That was the big deal. Uh, so I tried doing that as well. I went out to make a buy unsuccessfully. And in fact, one of the dealer's henchmen followed me after I left for several blocks. And then for whatever reason, he, he left. I decided right then that narcotics wasn't necessarily uh, the way I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got a new partner because my old partner went back to uniform and he and I talked about it and we decided we were going to concentrate our effort in prostitution. But we weren't going to waste our time arresting prostitutes because that's pretty much a revolving door. It never really accomplishes a whole lot except uh, politically for the department and the you know, in regards to how many numbers of prostitutes were arrested this month or this, that, and the other thing. Yep. But we quickly found that the real criminals out there were the pimps. So we started working on the pimps, developing as many sources as we possibly could, including pimps, because they will pimp on each other. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yep. And, uh, we, we pretty much developed a reputation on the street. Uh, it got to the point where, uh, I hope none of your listeners are from Memphis, because the Memphis pimps that came in town were probably the dumbest pimps on the street. <laughs> and for some reason, they thought it was a... Uh, some sort of credit, street credit, that they got stopped by Haggerty and Grace, my partner and I. Wow, so you guys are famous. Those guys, they would come down there, John, and walk in front of us just so we would stop them. <laughs> when we figured out what was going on, we just ignored them. Oh, boy, that really set them off. But uh, we were pretty successful. I mean, I lost more cases than I won, but you got to realize that your witnesses in these cases are the girls on the street and uh, their reliability, at least in terms of showing up, (laughs) is kind of slim. But uh, in 1979, a juvenile prostitute was in front of Judge Luke Moore in the US in the uh, Superior Court. She was pleading guilty and brought up that she was forced into this by her pimp. So Judge Moore called the US Attorney's Office because that's who our prosecutors are in the district for the most part and said he had a girl here that wanted to talk about her pimp. Well, they told him that the policy in the U.S. Attorney's Office at that time was that they wanted at least two girls on the same pimp before they would even open a grand jury investigation. Uh, To say the least, Luke Moore went crazy. (laughs) 
and he jumped all over the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia. They ended up assigning a particular assistant to do nothing but prostitution cases. And since we were fairly well known, we got detailed to her office to do these cases. And in six months, we had 20 pimps indicted. Now we lost before trial, at least 10 of them, but the other 10 all pled guilty to felonies. We went to one trial out of all that. We had four, four girls, three black girls, one white girl. Uh, the white girl was a juvenile one of the black girls was a juvenile, uh, presented the whole case. U.S. attorney worked, the assistant U.S. attorney worked really hard on the case. They acquitted him. And the, the assistant U.S. attorney polled the jury as to why they reached the verdict that they did or the acquittal that they did. And one guy said, there's nothing wrong with a black man beating up his woman. And that was, the, that was one of the juveniles that got beat up. Another one said he can't be a pimp because he doesn't have a car. Uh, a third juror said, uh, well, she noticed that every day that he came into trial, he had on very expensive shoes. I don't know what that's got to do with anything, but... And, the, and then another juror said the only reason they brought the case was because of the white girl. Wow. Yeah. Well, it gets yeah. even worse, John. That jury turned around and threw a party for the pimp. Swear talk to God. Jury, talk about a jury of your peers. Yeah. How much, how much did he pay him? He showed up at the party in a white Lincoln. And the Washingtonian wrote a whole article about it, Washingtonian magazine. It, it was just bizarre, just now, absolutely that, bizarre. Would that that be an example of like community standard? Like like we, you know, when we're sworn, we got the laws, and regardless of what the atmosphere is, we enforce the laws, whichever they may be. Um, but that doesn't mean the community. Uh, cares so I mean like today like you catch somebody with weed you try to prosecute good luck nobody cares right um, so it was that was that a, an effect of the DC area at the time that that just you know hookers and pimps it's just a just a way of life for the, an accepted part of the community and they just didn't care or um, just didn't care about about girls being being uh, trafficked I think it was more of the exception rather than the rule I haven't, other than that, I had only lost, well, and this came later, one other case that actually went to trial. Uh, and that was in Superior Court as well as U.S. District Court. Because one of the unique things about the Metropolitan Police in D.C. is that we can enforce federal law, yep. which is we're the only local police department in the country that I know of that can enforce federal law. So I can charge these guys with Man Act, which is crossing state lines for the purposes of prostitution. And I did many times. 
Uh, it was, I won't say really rare, but it wasn't very common that the U.S. Attorney's Office would go forward on one of those cases for whatever reason. Their excuse was that the, most of the judges uh, didn't like those kind of cases in U.S. District Court, in the federal court. But uh, all the cases I ever brought in federal court, we won and the guys got time. So I don't think they really knew what they were talking about, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's a, that's that's that'd be good if that particular jury was an aberration, because that that's a that's a scary, scary community standard. If, if that was if that, that the way that they were pulled reflected on the community, it sounds like an aberration, which sounds well, like a great thing. I think another part of the problem was that the, the general public really had no conception of what prostitution is all about. They have a, a misconceived conception that these girls are out there because they want to be out there. And that is so far from the truth. They also hear the stuff that it's a victimless crime. Uh, in my opinion, there's more victims involved in prostitution than there are in most crimes. Yep. And the, the, the uh, most common denominator I found, now I interviewed well over 5,000 prostitutes that came through the District of Columbia. And the biggest common denominator that I ran across was that they were sexually molested as children. Yep. Yeah. They, they start out, they start out being mistreated and they, it becomes a, a norm as they get older, but they, and they have no concept of, of how to change that, that balance. No, they have no learn. They have no uh, learning skills in terms of living. I'm trying to think of what, Living skills, yep. I guess it is. Yeah, like life skills, how to survive. And yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I've known girls that have left the street and tried to square up. But then they end up, you know, they had to pay for their own apartment. They had to pay for their own groceries, had to pay for their telephone bill. That was something they would never have thought about. And then it comes the end of the month and they don't have enough money because they don't have much in the terms of job experience, at least straight jobs. And they end up back on the street again. Yeah, just stuck in, stuck in that rut that they've never been trained or, or given the outlook of that, that there's something different. I mean, that's uh, human trafficking before there was even a term for it is, uh, is, is, is what you, uh, once you guys got your own AUSA, you're in business. Yeah, for that time. Did it did it ebb and flow over time? Like uh, as a new U.S. attorney comes in, so changes everything else. Well, this particular U.S. attorney, I was trying to get him to open a grand jury investigation on this guy for child pornography. And he told me, well, he says, grand jury investigations really don't work that well. And I'm going, huh? <laughs> uh you know, we indicted 20 pimps and 10 of them pled guilty to felonies. Well, that wasn't that much of a success. I'm going, good Lord. Yeah. Is it, uh, was it a money thing? Like, uh, I mean, on the dope side, you've got the seizures, you've got the asset forfeiture. I mean, was it just something like that? Or was it just the, the guy just had no idea what he was talking about? I think it's just the nature of the beast. They don't particularly like 
these kind of cases, prostitution cases. The biggest case I had in my career, uh, an assistant US attorney came up to me and I'd worked with him before. And he said, Joe, he says, the next man at case you get, bring it to me. And I told him, I said, you know, I hope you're serious because I definitely will. So the next one I got, I took it to him. And this was in federal court. We had 11 girls on this guy. Nine of them had been picked up as juveniles at some point or another. And they all testified at the grand jury, not necessarily cooperative, but most of them were. Uh, I actually met with his defense attorney and the assistant US attorney handling the case and suggested it would be best if his client pled guilty to you know however many felonies they are. And the, the his attorney said, uh, if even if I mentioned a plea to him, he's gonna fire me. I said, okay. I said, well, I guarantee you one thing. I said, I will probably lose half of these girls by the time we get to trial. But if we go to trial with half of them, I said, he's going to jail. We did lose half of them. But John, I picked up two of the mothers. I had the mothers testify at the trial. My God, the jury ate them up. They loved hearing from the mothers. One, this pimp had actually told one mother that he had bought his her daughter from some dope dealer for a thousand dollars. Told her that. Oh, he was convicted. He got, yeah. he got 15 years, which would have been, was a lot in federal court for this kind of case anyway. One of the crazy things was though, practically everybody that worked in US District Court at that time came in to watch this case. One of the janitors came in, one of the, I guess he's still called, well, custodian, let's call him a custodian. He came in and he said, I, you know, I've worked in this courthouse for 30 years. He says, I've never sat in on a single case, but I sat in on this one. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, uh, and the, uh, so the girls that with the mothers that testified, were they, did they run away or, or what, how did that, what was, what was that dynamic? One of the mothers, uh, her daughter had testified against him, but she was afraid to testify at the trial. So her mother testified oh, wow. and her sister her younger sister was propositioned by this pimp as well. There were no charges in relation to her, but uh, that was the one that told us about the $1,000 and he bought her for $1,000. The other mother, uh, I'm trying to remember. She was, she was just as effective though, because you, you oh, her daughter was 14 when she was working for this pimp. And she she test she actually 
her daughter actually testified for the pimp, which tells you how smart he was. Yeah. And uh, the mother would testify about times when she came home, when whenever he got arrested or whatever reason why she was home, about bruises that she'd seen on her daughter and things like that. So that was pretty effective. Yeah, just in and out the door. In and yeah. Just, yeah. Mm. Now that's a, this is all before, I mean, I think, and, I, and I'm, I'm no legal expert uh, by any means, but now we have enhancements um, and human trafficking statutes right. to, to bolster this. And uh, what were the specific charges that you guys usually laid on these, uh, these guys? It was uh, in the federal court, it was a man act. Mm -hmm. In the superior court, it was called pandering, pandering. which is uh, compelling, inducing, causing a woman into life of prostitution. Mm -hmm. And we also charged procuring, which was basically receiving the money. Yep. In federal court, you had the man act, but there is two separate uh, statutes, one for adults and one for juveniles. Now the juvenile one was 10 years, I think it was 10 years, and the adult one's five years. Now this particular pimp uh, actually appealed his conviction because, well, not his conviction, his sentencing really. The judge that sentenced him sentenced him five years on the pandering on the uh, man act violations but he made them all concurrent so he couldn't get any more than five years but he also charged him gave him 10 years for every one of the juveniles that he transported across state lines and made that concurrent but then he made the, the two together consecutive so he got 15 years yeah, that's where the 15 came from. But he appealed because he was sentenced for the same transportation of an adult and a juvenile, which they don't usually do. It's usually one particular act, one particular charge, uh, and not two different people. Yeah, and then you can the pile same. them up. Right. Yeah. And uh, the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia, which is kind of known to be pretty liberal, they upheld it. They said, that, yeah, you know, so he got the whole 15. He only did six. And he got out again and he got rearrested, this time by the feds, which surprised me, in New Jersey. And he had picked up a couple of girls from Massachusetts, youngins, juveniles. They got him charged. Uh, and actually in January of all months, I got to go up to Boston and testify in the federal court in regards to my case against him, which would enhance his sentencing. And then they had passed that uh, sentencing law that they would have to do 85% of what they got. Oh, yeah. Yep. So he did. Uh, he got 12 years out of that one. 
another 12 on top of the 15 on top well six <laughs> well he actually went back to jail in between that because my buddies in las vegas uh caught him again and all they did ended up doing was revoking his probation or parole or whatever sending back but he didn't do him another year before they let him out again yeah yeah, it's uh, that uh, does that good behavior stuff, and it was before the uh, truth and what do they call that? The truth and uh, sentencing acts and stuff like that. Right, right. Uh, yep, yep. So uh, when you uh, when you work these, was it uh, mostly um, source driven? Like, uh, would you uh, the girls um, you recruit them and and have them reporting on them, or is one of those things you do a group sting and and give everybody a chance to uh, to do the right thing, write statements and testify? No, for the most part, my partner and I just stayed on the street. We, uh, anytime we saw a new girl out on the street, we'd go up and introduce ourselves. I'm Detective Haggerty, this is Detective Grace. Now, if we were out here to arrest you, the last thing in the world we're gonna do is come up so you can see us and meet us and identify us. I said, so we gotta be out of here for some other purpose. I said, you stand a good chance of getting raped, robbed, beat up, stabbed, might even get killed. But if you get killed, you can't call us. But any of that stuff happens to you and you want to do something about it, you call us. Now, you may think I'm full of it, but all I suggest is that you try us. So we tried to establish a trust on the street. So if and when uh, something went down, they would call us and it did work to a certain degree. I mean, I had one girl, anytime the pimp started messing with her, she'd start yelling, Haggerty and Grace, Haggerty and Grace. <laughs> that's, that's a, that feels like, and I haven't been on the street in a long time, but that, that feels like kind of a, you hope it still goes on now, but it's, it goes back to the, um, you know, they push it and, um, you know, they market this as community policing, but this is just, good old-fashioned policing you know yes. your beat you know your area you know your people and um even though you can't help them you, you see this girl walking down the street knowing that the street's going to eat her um, and all you can do is offer you know and just hope that she, she she does the right thing at the time you know plus one of the things we did when we went out we we talked to everybody yep we talked to the girls we talked to the pimps i mean you like i said they'll pimp each other I remember I was talking to this one guy. He was part of what they called the twins. And he was telling me that his brother had been stabbed in Atlantic City, stabbed in the back. And I asked him, I said, do you mean that literally or figuratively? <laughs> he said, no, no, he, he stabbed him in the back. He's in the hospital there. I said, wow, oh man, that's something. When I got back to the office, I ran them both through with a computer and NCIC and so forth. And I'll be damned if his brother wasn't wanted in Colorado. So I called Colorado to find out whether or not the warrant was still good and all that good then it was. Then I called my buddies up in Atlantic City and told them where he was and they went and locked him up. But <laughs> Like I said, you, you, you never know what they're going to tell you. Uh, another guy was, I knew, uh, 
I knew he'd been in Philadelphia. He didn't know how I knew, but that was the other thing we used to do. We we popped stuff on him all the time. I used to on day work because day works, you know, you're not seeing anything out there but uh, junkie prostitutes, really, and they their pimp is the dope. Mm-hmm. So, but I'd go out into Virginia or Maryland to the motels that I know where a lot of these pimps would stay. And I'd write down tag numbers for the different hotels. Later that night or the next day or whatever that night, if I saw him on the street, I'd pull him over, ID him, tell him who I was, so forth. And then I'd ask him a question like, well, how do you like staying at the Statesman Inn? Oh, that would blow their mind. Yeah, keep them on their toes. <laughs> I, and, I, and that's what I was telling the, some of the cops. I said, you know, uh, you, you don't always have to arrest these guys. If you get into their business, they're going to be afraid. They don't want the cops knowing what their business is and all this other stuff. I mean, I've had plenty, plenty of pimps that left town just because they thought we knew something that we didn't. I mean, they all, it got around, you know, that we knew everything was going on out there, but we didn't, but it was glad. I was glad that they thought that way. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and often they, um, you know, they, they could care less about going to jail, but you heard the business, you heard the money flow and that's, oh, yeah. yeah, all day long, they'll defend that money, but they, they don't care about doing time. It's just a break for them. Plus they think um, you're watching them. You know, you yeah. tell them that you're, you're staying at this hotel. One night, my partner and I got off, uh, left court, and we decided to treat ourselves at this steakhouse on K Street. And we went in there, we got our stuff and looked across the room, and there was a pimp that we knew. And he was with this other guy, but they didn't see us. Later that night, we saw him on the street. Now, the guy we didn't know, we pulled up on, identified ourselves in a whole bit. You know, what are you stopping me for? You know, I told him, hey, man, any friend of Bobby's is a friend of ours. That was the other pimp that we knew. He was across the street. And my partner goes, he said, uh, what did you think of those baked potatoes? And the guy said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you had baked potatoes for dinner, didn't you? <laughs> that guy left that night. Yeah, you're getting in their head. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And and you mentioned that and it and it it probably sounds like a small thing, but I mean, you talk about you know proactive police work now, especially in that the sex trafficking side of the house. You've got Craigslist, uh, Backpage. If that's I think that's been shut down by at this point, but social media, different different apps, that all this trafficking and all this business can be done. And and you're driving around during the daytime, just hitting the hotels. You know, that's just old i mean that's no computers no no help you're you're running that just collecting intel and marrying it up on the street i mean and because it as you were as i was putting this together i'm trying to think of how i would have gone about doing this back back before i could search social media and auto track and all the other um you know information aggregators that we have today you know it's yeah, that's a, that's and then marrying all that up to to absolutely just dig right into their heads too just that's just fun. Yeah, that's what I, I would tell them. Look, if 
find out everything you can find out about this pimp. If he came from another city, check with that city. What kind of, you know, if he's been arrested over there, what do they know about him? Where did he get his vehicle? Uh, all these things. And then uh, kind of subtly let him know that you know this. He won't stick around. 85% 85, 85 of our street downtown was from out of town. So they weren't going to stick around if they thought you were into their business. Now, how did that, how did that work with uh, the locals? I mean, they, the, the out of town guys um, back when I worked, they didn't get the, the best reception when they tried to try to move in. There wasn't any, I mean, what kind of beefs did you guys end up uh, getting caught in? No, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of territorial fights as regard as the stroll was concerned, mainly because the, the stroll in the District of Columbia really wasn't that big. It was primarily centered in a certain particular area, and it was an area that was very active during the day, but was basically, as far as the businesses were, co were co concerned, were closed at night. So, uh, I mean, during the bicentennial, John, we had a pimp from every state in the union, including Hawaii. Wow. It was, it, it was bizarre, but <laughs> they actually did try to organize at one point. Uh, the problem was again, because of so many out of towners, the New York pimps that came into town thought they were better than these local pimps, although these local pimps were mostly from Michigan. Uh, so they, they wouldn't join up. The Memphis crew, like I told you, weren't the bright, brightest bulb in the room. So they wouldn't join up. But once they lost control of that thing, their, their organization kind of fell apart. Because if, if they had really organized, we really would have been up the creek. Yeah, United Front. But, um, did you, uh, did that, how, how did you see that evolve over time? Like uh, it, it, the, the pimp, um, you know, that kind of control over women, did that ever change over time? Was there, I mean, did, did the women figure out that, that's not the best business model for them that, that are in that business? Or was it just, they're so um, kind of, um, their, their upbringing is as such, they, they just don't feel like they have that kind of control to, to try and make decisions for themselves. Well, as far as the, the method that the pimps use, I think it's still pretty much valid. Yeah. It comes down to, uh, whether or not they're working the street or they're working uh, escort service or they're working something off of like Craigslist or, or you know, whatever. Uh, and it, it's not as visible as it used to be as far as the District of Columbia is concerned anyway. Uh, and I worked, I just worked the street. I didn't work escort services. I didn't work uh, massage parlors or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I was involved in the investigations, but that wasn't my primary uh, 
objective, but street was where I spent most of the time was. And I think that's where you're going to run across more youngins too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It all comes down to that control that those people just have, you know, that they, they just beat, you know, not, you know, well, some cases beat right into them, but they're just uh, indoctrinated into that being controlled. And that's how the whole thing, the whole system works. Yeah. One of the analogies I use is James Jones and the people's church, the people's that Ghana, all mm -hmm. those people committed suicide. Uh, you know, some of these people were college graduates. I mean, it wasn't that they were stupid or anything. It was only, it was because they were looking for something that they could grab hold of or that they could believe in or this, that, and the other thing. And James Jones took advantage of them. Mm -hmm. Same thing with David Koresh and the Waco thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty common with these girls, like I said, a lot of them were sexually molested, uh, sometimes by a family member, rarely by a stranger. Uh, they get ostracized and they're, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And yeah. Mr. Pimp is about to, he's gonna show them love or at least for him, you know, with the pimp love is money. As mm. long as you're giving him money, he loves you to death, but uh, they're always, you, well, I won't say they're always, but uh, they're youngins. They don't, they don't have that much life experience. Uh, they get into a whole rut and he uses all kinds of different cons on them in the sense that you're being watched all the time he may point to a police officer down the street. He's watching you because he works for me. He don't even know who that cop is, yep. but he's running the con. Yep. So, so she's afraid. Yeah. She's looking for hope and, and he's looking for control. That's, uh, I had one, you, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I had one pimp. He had this new girl out on the street. And a lot of times you can tell by what kind of purse they're carrying. If they've got a fairly good sized purse, more than likely they're a turnout. They're just new on the street. Well, he went, found uh, a drug addict, offered the guy 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever, told him to go down and snatch that girl's purse. And then to meet him over six blocks away or whatever. So that's what the, the uh, uh, drug addict did. We went down, stole the girl's purse, ran off. She's all upset. Oh, my God, they took my purse. They took everything. Rolls up the pimp. What happened to you, baby? Well, he took my, hey, your daddy's going to take care of you. So he goes over and meets the junkie, gets the purse back goes through the purse, removes anything connecting her to her family, and brings the purse back. She thinks he's the greatest thing going. Yep. And he set the whole thing up. And his, he's her only lifeline now. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's now, love. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did uh, do you have any uh, uh, with uh, with all these uh, these uh, kids that you helped or the women that you helped? 
Um, do you have any uh, any like success stories? Anybody ever just get out of the game and and uh, and be able to to have a life? Uh, yes. Uh, I had one girl who ended up working for a youth organization uh, and helping to get kids off the street. Uh, I, I actually referred a couple of girls to child, Children of the Night, which was the best program in the country at the time, probably still is. Uh, I don't I can't claim any success there, though, because they, they both left the program, left the program before it had any real success. I had another young lady that uh, I helped. Uh, she is now a clinical nutritionist. So I'd say that's somewhat of a success story. Yeah, that's a win. Uh, well, just one is a win. I mean, you you get one person that 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 you can help is a win. But uh, but they have multiple. See people be be able to change circumstances. It's kind of hard to measure, to be honest with you, because uh, just about all of these girls came from out of state. So in order to uh, find out what happened to them. It's kind of difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And if they actually do get out of the life, uh, they want to stay that way. And they really don't particularly want to be reminded of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, yeah. There's a lot of trauma there. Yeah. Now, uh, so your uh, your book Shame that uh, that kind of is that kind of would you consider that kind of a a culmination of of uh, what you've seen over time and and your kind of uh, stylized um, look at that life? My motivation behind writing that was the crap that Hollywood puts out, and even stuff you see on television. It's not they 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 glorify prostitution. And there ain't nothing glory, glory in prostitution. I wanted to tell a story of the street, of what the street is really like. There's a lot of sex and violence in my, in my book, but that's what prostitution is about. It's about sex and violence. Uh, I wanted to show particularly how a pimp developed. This particular pimp was turned out by other prostitutes, but he was headed in that direction anyway. Uh, and th the other thing wasn't, uh, you know, I may have gone off on a few too many tangents, but I wanted to show the whole street. I didn't want to just concentrate on the girls that were with the pimp. I wanted to concentrate on the other girls that were on, I didn't want to concentrate, but I wanted to cover the other girls that are on the street, how they got there, what their life was about, because that is the whole street. It's not, it's not just the ones that you center on with that particular pimp. Mm -hmm. The cons that he ran on girls that uh, were presumably straight to begin with, 
uh, was just an example of that, just that, what, what they do. Uh, I've had them use a con where they were needed money for a divorce. Uh, just, just crazy stuff. But, you know, they convince a girl. And then the other thing is that uh, people want to think that these girls are not bright. Well, some of them aren't too bright. But I've had girls out there that were college educated on the street, working for a pimp. Uh, I don't know how to explain that necessarily, except for the same thing I said about James Jones. They were looking for something. This guy provided it to them. Whether or not they could get out again, I don't know. It's all kind of a, a psychological addiction, I think, to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that that control mechanism, that kind of like exactly like a cult, like you say, then whatever the hook is, I mean, it's, it's uh, once they get it, they, they just, you know, enforce it. And, uh, and kind of like, uh, would you consider, you know, similar to that uh, domestic violence cycle, you know, the, the love, oh, stress, the, the, the violence, and then just cycle it right back through with money involved. If you look at the battered woman syndrome, falls right into the prostitution game. If you look at the Stockholm syndrome, falls right into the prostitution game. Uh, you know, all these things you've got to kind of take into consideration when you're looking at this. And that's one of the reasons why some of these uh, ladies are afraid to talk about the pimp. Yeah. So pivoting from shame to ocean in the desert, that, that kind of, with shame, it seemed like you really, really, you really wanted the detail, um, your true observations on the street. Was ocean in the desert kind of meant to be uh, maybe a little cathartic? You got a couple private eyes going out there and, and specializing in rescuing children and kind of, kind of getting the, you know, being the good guys. Yeah, somebody told me it was a fantasy of mine <laughs> in the sense of eliminating sexual predators. Uh, and I wanted to show a couple of things. One, I wanted to show the vulnerability of some of these young ladies who ended up into the life. The other thing I wanted to show was what that structure was for them and how in some cases they really had no choice. Uh, I started the book off with a, uh, a literally bang, you might say, because this child pornographer gets blown to smithereens, but uh, you know, he was a predator, just no doubt about it. And the young girl's father was certainly pleased <laughs> once he found out. And, you know, I pretty much went on from there. But I, I wanted to make these guys uh, not heroes, uh, just more of a kind of a job to a certain degree but they, they were vulnerable as well. And 
some of the things that happened happens. And I did use things that I had from cases that I'd had in the past, but uh, I had wanted to write this uh, for a long time. Yep. Yeah, I've been I've, I've gotten a little bit into it so far, but I haven't gotten haven't gotten through that one either. Um, but uh, but yeah, so these uh, these two books, were you always a writer or was it one of those things that just kind of hit you at one point that you wanted to start wanted to try a book or was it just something you've always done? Actually, I started writing poetry. And when I saw how people reacted to the poems I wrote, uh, I kind of got involved with a union paper. Our union, uh, the FOP had a paper called Simulcast and I was writing poems for that. And then I started writing articles for that and uh, things became pretty well received and so forth. And I thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to write a book about all this. Yeah. You probably know as well as I do how many times you've heard your fellow officers say, you know, I think I'm going to write a book about this. Or I, I, I want to write a book about this. Nobody would believe me and all this. Well, I said the same thing and then I did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that, and yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've sat around and had that, those conversations, just the, uh, you know, the crazy stuff that nobody would ever expect to experience. <laughs> you just, you, you, you clear it, you know, get back to the, get back to work. And two hours later, like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> and speaking of that, I, I know it's, uh, it's getting late. I don't want to keep you, but I would like you to, uh, can you explain uh, what your children's of the night award was? Uh, they had a uh, celebration. I think it was called the heroes of the heart. And what uh, Dr. Lois Lee, who runs Children of the Night, she uh, works with police all over the country. In fact, she's actually come to the District of Columbia because I was involved in uh, one of the founders of a grassroots operation called HIPS, which was helping individual prostitutes survive. And it was geared towards getting kids off the street. Uh, and she came and actually did a presentation for HIPS, you know, just to give them some background on the whole prostitution culture. I learned a lot from her. She also testified at least one or two of the trials that I had as an expert witness. But then I became an expert witness. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she, her whole organization, uh, they made a movie about it. I'm sure you may have heard of it. It's called Children of the Night and how she really got started. She, she had a shelter and she offered these kids uh, all kinds of things. I remember I sent one girl there. Uh, she was from a one parent family. Her mother was really having a hard time uh, the county where she lived wouldn't help her unless the girl got arrested. No. Yeah, I know. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But we arrested her in the district. 
And through the court system, I got her sent to Children of the Night. And one of the things they found out almost immediately, which surprised the hell out of me, she needed grief counseling. She had had two rather close family members die within a year. And one of them was a grandfather, I believe, that she was very close to. And she just never got it. She just gave up, kind of. And this pimp recruited her and turned her out on the street. Uh, but that's the kind of things they do. They, they really empowered these young ladies. And I mean, she's had a number of them that have gone off to college and all this other good stuff. It, it's it's a wonderful program. That's great. That's great. And so so you were recognized as one of the top uh, law enforcement officers in the country specializing in this. Yes. Oh, that's 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 outstanding. Because and you she knew all. Oh, yeah, sorry. she knew about the kids that I had dealt with. And uh, and hips. That was all. That was all, was, did the department help you with any of that? Or was that something you stood up on your own? No, I stood up on my own. The department didn't do anything. Wow. That's now, I, I will tell you that a little further down the road, I was actually the, the uh, president of that organization at one time. But a little further down the road, they recruited new people to, to run the program. And it became a real... Uh, liberal organization, they were doing more to support prostitution than to uh, to rescue these kids. And that's, I said, no more. And I left. Wow. Just, uh, just a, a failure to understand the circumstances or, or yeah, what? Well, give you an idea. I had a Georgetown professor who was, became one of the people working on the program. And I would refer to prostitution as sexual slavery. Uh, she took a real affront to that. I was insulting the whole background of slavery in this country. And I'm going, lady, you really don't know what's going on here. <laughs> but yeah. get but, out of but, the classroom a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Just. And I don't want, you know, that was the other good thing about Children of the Night. If, if one of the kids that came into her program wanted to talk about her pimp or wanted to do something about her pimp, Lois would take her to the police department and assist in the interview of this girl. For them I'm to sorry, take I, I couldn't hear you. There was something going on in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> Sorry. Could you say that again? She would assist the police in okay. interviewing this girl and, you know, any information else that she could do. And, of course, the girl would be in her shelter, so she'd have a certain amount of protection. Yeah, that's a brave thing for a, for a, a you know, a young girl to, to make that move. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I understand it's getting late, sir, and I, I promise I won't keep you, but in the questionnaire I sent you, you mentioned one of your craziest calls you ever got, and this is walking away from the, uh, from the vice work and the prostitution work, but I, I, you know, I don't want to keep you too, too long. 
Um, but I got to hear your, your recollection of, of your domestic that you, that you told me about. Yeah, we got a, we got a run when I was in uniform, we got a run for a cutting. And when we got to the house, the lady came to the door and we said, did you call the police? She said, yeah. She said, my husband and I got into a big argument and I stabbed him in the back. And we said, uh, okay, well, where's your husband now? Well, he's on the way to the hospital. So I, oh, my ambulance came and got him. No, he's walking. Freeman's hospital was like two blocks away. So he was walking to Freedman's hospital. We drove towards where we suspected that he would be walking. And sure enough, he's walking on the sidewalk there, headed to Freeman's, and he's got a knife in his back. I mean, it was, it was just, it was bizarre. He refused to take any help, but uh, we stayed with him until he got to the hospital. So, I mean, if anything happened where he collapsed or whatever, then we could take action in terms of an ambulance or whatever. But uh, it, it's just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so you roll up on the guy, you're like, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Why? Yeah. Well, <laughs> with, you, with something you got a knife there? sticking out of your back there, sir. <laughs> yeah. He says, yeah, my wife gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said? No. I was going to say, that's, that'd be pretty good. That'd be a good line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I read that in your notes and I, I, I wanted to ask you about it, <laughs> but, um, I would say thank you for, um, for walking us through, I mean, that, uh, that look at, at that kind of, you know, that, that flavor of police work, the, the best thing about, you know, our industry is you can do pretty much anything from write tickets all day long to work undercover to, to, you know, build up your own, you know, uh, your own effort to, uh, to help young girls get out of the street. It's, and, and, um, and I appreciate you showing us that window uh, throughout tonight. And uh, it was my pleasure. Believe me. Yeah, it was, this is great. I, I feel like we could probably go another two hours, but I, I, I've got, I got, I got a couple little boys that I got to get to bed within, no, within an hour. So I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure you do with, you know, 18 grandchildren. <laughs> um, the, um, but uh, yeah, before we go, uh, your books, I found, uh, I found them on Amazon. Uh, any place else that that uh, that that's a pretty easy way to get them? Uh, no, not really, no. except from me. Yeah. Okay. Do you have uh, um, any socials, any platforms you want me? You want to um, let people know about? I'm just I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's about it. Okay. And it's just Joe Haggerty, or yeah, yeah. Now my son is also joe haggerty but he's junior i'm senior senior joe haggerty senior facebook and and uh and linkedin yeah for some reason i can't get a hang of linkedin i've never been able to figure that one out so i'd i'll uh, i'll find you on facebook though for sure um but uh i uh you know um what are you working on? anything coming down the pipe for you any uh, any works you got you got coming along well i'm working on one uh i i had a source way back when he was a male prostitute and he gave me information on busting this one particular club. And he ended up, I let him work or gave permission for him to work with uh, the narcotics people. And he made several cases there. Uh, somehow he was exposed and he left town. He ended up working for all 
several different police departments all across the country. And he became, for all intents and purposes, a uh, professional informant. And he was pretty successful at it, too. I mean, I had a number of police departments call me. Anyway, I'm writing a book about him and his exploits, but I'm making it fiction. Uh, Even though he's passed, he he died of AIDS. Uh, I just thought it was... uh, an inter- it would be an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when you uh, wrap that one up, you got to come back and and I'd love to hear more about that guy's story because there are I've run into a few over the years. You know, people that make a living at at, uh, at being an informant, and you can actually do pretty good um, <laughs> depending on what you get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a that's a hard fast life. I I, I don't think I'd wish on anybody. Um, well, he never worked for the feds. He always worked for uh, individual police departments. But they yeah. called me too. So, you know, they wanted to find out what his reliability was and so forth. Wow. Wow. That, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. But uh, I appreciate it, sir. And I, I won't keep you any longer. Um, but thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. And uh, hopefully I can't make it this year, but hopefully I get to the uh, PSWA um, conference next year. Yeah, I'm hoping to do that, too. I can't go this year either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm missing Vegas, but that's all right. I'll catch the next one. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Have, have a good night. You too. Be safe. All right.